Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Hey, church family, Josh here. A bit of a different look this Sunday, but hey, at least we get to do something this Sunday, right? Because last Sunday, the wake of Hurricane Fiona uh, was quite a bit worse than I think a lot of us thought, and... Um, we didn't get to do anything. So this, this Sunday, we've got a two-part plan. We really wanted to connect with the people who are online. And we also wanted to connect with the people who don't have internet access right now and are near to the church facility. Now, we're not supposed to have power at the church facility today. Um, so the plan was, is, <laughs> this is pre-recorded, so it's hard to say it in real time. Uh, we're having a campfire with coffee and Timbits behind the church facility at Great Village, 38 Station Road. If you're in our local area, we would love to have you come. It's very informal. We're just going to sit around the fire, talk, see how we're doing after Hurricane Fiona, share stories, and get to pray with one another and be together. Uh, the second part of the plan is this online pre-recorded service. Uh, we really wanted to dig into God's Word, spend some time in worship, talk about what's coming up and uh, some of the things that we had to reschedule and plan. Uh, and we need to kick off this fall campaign because um, it's a couple weeks later than we were originally planning and targeting for. So we're going to kick off this campaign too. And it's really good to be able to connect digitally in this way as well. I hope you're doing all right. Hurricane Fiona, how did you fare? That seems to be a lot of the conversation in the last week, right? We lost a number of trees and shingles and we had some water come in the bedroom and then down to our dining room. And it's probably very similar to maybe your experience, what you're hearing, what you're seeing. Some people kind of got off unscathed and then other folks had a lot of substantial damage to their property. So we need to keep people in prayer. We need to check in and see how we can help in this season, see how we can be Jesus' hands and feet to those in need. But you know what a hurricane does? It really puts things into perspective, doesn't it? It shows you what really matters. Maybe you've thought this, maybe you've said this, maybe somebody said it to you. Trees can grow back. Roofs can be replaced and repaired. Uh, but your family is okay, you know? So God is good. We need to be thankful. And I, I say a hearty amen to that. Well, today we're kicking off our fall campaign. And it's called Stuffed. We're going to be talking about our stuff and how it's not really about our stuff. We're going to get into that. But this morning's message is called Matter Matters. What really matters? Does matter? The material possessions we have, our stuff, does it matter? This is a great time to talk about our stuff, our material possessions, our finances, not only in the wake of Fiona and how much the repairs cost, how much the gas in the generator costs, how much the replacing the groceries in the freezer costs, but also just our economy in general. Inflation, gas prices, grocery prices, the housing crisis, the cost to rent right now, trying to find a place to live. This is a big part of the conversation these days. So because this campaign deals a lot with the financial conversation, our finance team has been really involved with this from the beginning, helping us with content, 
Um, we started this conversation back in the spring uh, about what we should do as a fall campaign. Um, so our finance team is putting together some creative content for Sunday services as kind of the sermon bumper time. Um, not only to illustrate the themes of what we're talking about when it comes to this stuff series, but also to make themselves known to the church family. Because I don't know if you know this or not, our finance team doesn't just serve the church in budgeting and expenses and all of those areas, uh, but they also assist the church in personal finances. If, if you need help with budgeting or understanding that financial component of your life a little more, this finance team serves our church family and community in that specific area. So they're available through the course of this uh, if you need to talk and go further in this financial conversation. We've also got resources for you. We've got an eight-week outline uh, that has some questions for group discussion, some key scriptures for you to look into, and that's all available in the lobby of the facility, but it's also been sent to group leaders, and we're going to make that available online as well. So, this is a great time to talk about stuff, material stuff, financial stuff. Here's another reason why. Um, I don't know if you've heard about Love Atlantic, but it starts today, and it goes until next Sunday. And it's one week where churches in Atlantic Canada are being encouraged to be radically generous in Jesus' name. And what a great week to put our focus on generosity in the wake of Fiona, helping out people in need, using our resources, our time, our chainsaw, our generator. There are so many ways that we can help out people in need this week. So I want you to know there are churches around Atlantic Canada who are focusing on radical generosity in Jesus' name this very week, starting today, which I think is, is pretty cool. And I'm encouraged that we are a generous church. I'm always hearing stories of what our church family is doing, helping out people in the community. And there are lots of opportunities to be generous. You heard about our Thanksgiving special offering coming up and uh, missions trip to Honduras and, and all of that. I, I can't mention them all. There's too much. And we need to get into the sermon time. Um, this is a great time to talk about this stuff. The church needs to be discussing the problems and the issues and the opportunities that real people are facing today in light of the gospel, in light of eternity. And the financial conversation, the materialistic conversation is a big one right now. And we need to speak to it from Scripture. One of the problems I hear a lot in coffee shops is the conversation on money and housing and a financial future and groceries and how much everything costs. And that materialistic conversation is not a new one. It's throughout the pages of Scripture. There are literally thousands of verses that deal with finances and materialism. Jesus seemed to talk more about money than he talked about heaven or hell. How's that for crazy? Over the course of the next eight weeks, we're going to dig into some of these scriptures and what they have to say about our stuff. And the fact that it's not really about the stuff. The stuff just indicates uh, the desires of our heart. So we're going to start this series by framing up a theology of stuff. Where does it come from? Is it inherently good? Is it inherently bad? What's God's view of stuff? Because if we're going to talk about how we treat stuff, how we use stuff or abuse stuff, 
we first need to define an understanding of stuff from God's perspective. So turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you could, if you're following along there in the digital world. This is a beautiful passage, 1 Timothy chapter 6. This has been the reading reminder for the last two weeks because we didn't get to dig into it last Sunday. This is Paul's instructions to young Timothy about avoiding the traps of greed, riches, arrogance, striving for personal gain, being all about the money. But on the flip side, Paul says some really important things about stuff, where it comes from and what it's for. So we're going to dig into that. Paul has just finished warning Timothy about these people who are trying to make money off of ministry. They were just in it for the money. And Paul says you need to disassociate with the people who think that godliness is a means of gain. You've read the articles. You've probably seen documentaries where pastors and church leaders, high-profile ministry people, misuse church resources steal from the church, make money from the church, make it clear that their values and their character are compromised and they're just in it for the money. And it's a disgrace to Christianity. It paints this broad, ugly brush across all of us as Christians, that the church is just in it for the money. Well, Paul says, you need to disassociate from that. If you want to be a leader in the church worth following, if you want to set the example for your family, if you want to show the community what being a Christian is all about, then you cannot be in it for the money. It's not about the money. It's not about the stuff. So 1 Timothy 6, look at verse 6. Paul says, in contrast to those people that think godliness is a means of gain, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. What a good verse. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I'll return, right? Verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. If the leak in that roof stops leaking, I'll be content. (laughs) Now there's a few different ways that we tend to view this conversation on stuff in the Christian circles. Now, I want you to think if any of these different ways of looking at money and materialism is familiar to you, if you've been in these conversations. Oftentimes, the conservative Christian sentiment is, don't worry. Just let go and let God. Just give it to God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And as much as there is some really good truth in that, how do you do that? How do you let go and let God? I'm thinking about the food in my freezer. I'm thinking about the leak in the roof. How do, I, how do I just release these things? How do I do that? That sounds good. How do I do that? Maybe God can give me one of those cattle on a thousand hills and it can plug the leak in the roof, right? How do I do that? Or maybe it's like this. Maybe the comment is, well, it's all going to burn anyway. Why worry about stuff? It's not going to last for eternity. You can't take it with you, right? You didn't bring anything into this world. You can't take anything out. Those pharaohs buried in those pyramids in Egypt with all of these treasures and riches that they were going to take to the afterlife, we think, how crazy. You can't take it with you. So does it not matter? If stuff doesn't last for eternity, if it's only God's word, the grass fades, the flower flower fades, the grass withers, the word of the Lord will endure forever— And people, if God's word and people are the only thing that make it into eternity, 
then does stuff not matter? It's just gonna burn anyway, like chaff in the wind. Or maybe the Christian thought even goes so far as to say, stuff is bad. Stuff is the problem. You shouldn't have too much stuff. You should get rid of your stuff because stuff is the problem. Maybe it goes so far as to say stuff is evil. You should rid yourself of it. Get rid of it. If you have too much stuff, then that's just, get that out of here. You shouldn't have too much stuff. Can a Christian own a summer home and a boat on the lake? Can a pastor drive a sports car, a convertible? We get into these conversations. Have you thought these thoughts? Aren't Christians just supposed to suffer and be poor? The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You got to give up everything. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And we kind of misinterpret this to think that we have to suffer in poverty. Sorry, there's a train going by. <laughs> as Christians, we we can't enjoy nice things as Christians. We just, we just need to get away from stuff, right? Be in the world, but not of it. Just... You can't, you can't enjoy the nicer things in life as a Christian. You just need to give them up. That train's really loud, isn't it? Have you had these thoughts? You know, maybe I should just get rid of everything, live a minimalistic lifestyle, sell my house, live in a tiny home. No, better yet, I'm going to live in a van down by the river and I'm just going to get rid of all my stuff because stuff is the problem. And when I get rid of all this stuff, then... I'll never have another materialistic thought in my life. Well, actually, Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 that he's learned the art of contentment when he's rich and when he's poor, when he's full and when he's hungry. So it doesn't matter which side of the spectrum you're on because it's not about the stuff. It's not about the stuff. Now, as nice as it can be to declutter, and I love spring cleaning season. There's just something about getting into it and emptying out a closet and organizing it that just does my OCD brain good. And as much as it can be wise to live simplistically and to live well within your means, it's not about the stuff. It's not about the stuff. That's the tagline for this whole series, stuffed. It's not about the stuff. Look at verse 9, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 9. Paul's talking to Timothy about contentment and being content with what you have. And then in contrast, verse 9, but those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Do you see that downward slide there? It leads to temptation, which leads to a snare, which leads to senseless, harmful desires, and then the plunge into ruin and destruction. It's a slow fade, a slippery slope, when you're all about the money, all about being rich, all about that desire for more. We're going to talk about that next week. Verse 10, for the love of money, you've probably heard this verse, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now here's what you need to understand about stuff. 
It's not about the stuff. <laughs> You're going to get so sick of me saying that. Stuff in and of itself is not the problem. As these verses pointed out, it's our unhealthy desire for that stuff that gets us into trouble. Craving it, loving it, desiring it, wanting more of it. Stuff is not the problem. It's our misuse and abuse of that stuff that becomes the problem. But first we need to understand stuff. Stuff may not be the problem, but what is it? Steve mentioned, um, this is a great series for kids and probably for men especially. So when they ask you what the pastor spoke on this morning, you can just say, stuff? <laughs> that works good, doesn't it? Okay, look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. This is our key verse for today, so don't miss it. Verse 17. As for the rich, let's talk about those rich people. They're always somebody over there, right? <laughs> As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Have you seen the stock market over the last two years? The uncertainty of riches. But set their hopes on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, to be ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Being generous, storing up treasure in heaven, setting your hope on God, not in the stuff. These are all important things that we're going to be talking about this fall through this series. And Paul sets it up so nicely to Timothy. But notice that the emphasis is not on the stuff because it's not about the stuff. It's on the mindset. It's on setting your hope in God and not in the stuff. It's, it's in the desire. It's in the cravings for the stuff. Get your focus, get your hope, get your trust on God. Also notice that the application to these rich people is not just to get rid of your stuff, throw it all out to the curb and throw it out because it's evil, get rid of it. Paul doesn't harp on them for being rich or for having nice things. You shouldn't have done that in the first place. Paul's not saying you shouldn't be rich. He's saying you shouldn't be arrogant and prideful and a self-built person with no hope and no trust in God all in your possessions. If being wealthy was evil, let's just go down that rabbit trail for a second then there would be a lot of heroes in the Bible who would be living in habitual sin that God was affirming in their sin, which we know cannot be the case. Do you know of any kings in the Old Testament who had a lot of wealth, even to the point where dignitaries from other lands came to see their wealth? Think about Abraham, Genesis chapter 13 and verse 2. And Abraham was rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. It says he was very rich. <laughs> Job chapter 1 and verse 1. Now there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God, one who turned away from evil. Sounds like somebody who's chasing after God with their whole heart, right? Verse 2. There were born to him seven sons, three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke, 
of oxen. That means a pair, right? So a thousand oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East, the richest, the wealthiest, but at the same time, he's blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So if wealth was evil, he should have turned away from it, right? Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 10, we talked about this just a few weeks ago, where Moses is talking to the Hebrew people before they enter the promised land, the land that God is going to give them flowing with milk and honey. Hebrews, Deuteronomy, not Hebrews, chapter 6 and verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, houses full of all good things that you did not fill, cisterns with good water that you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees with good fruit that you did not plant. And when you eat, when you're full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Who gave them the promised land? God did. And it was full of good things. If having money and having stuff was sinful and we shouldn't, then why would God give it to Abraham? Why would he give it to Job? Why would he give a whole nation of people a land flowing with milk and honey? Paul's instruction is, tell the wealthy to use their wealth for good. You are blessed to be a blessing. Isn't that what God tells Abraham? The reason why you have these riches is to be rich towards others. Be ready to share. Be generous. In that way, you're investing your stuff into what really matters. And you'll see more life come from that stuff. We're going to talk more about this in this campaign, about being generous, of course. But at the end of verse 17, this really emphasizes the point for week one, and I need to hang out here for a second. Set your hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Who gives us this stuff? God. Why does he give us the stuff? What's the last word in verse 17? To enjoy. It's for our enjoyment. It's the Greek term apoleusis, which means to experience joy, to experience pleasure. God gives us stuff to enjoy. Just sit in that for a moment. Let that soak in. God Jehovah Jireh, my provider, he gives me every good and perfect gift for my pleasure. Let's, let's not jump over the simplicity of this verse and what it's saying. God richly provides you with everything to enjoy. Matter matters. Stuff in and of itself, as God designed it, stuff is good. It's for our enjoyment. It's for our pleasure. Hot showers are good. <laughs> Plugging electronics into the outlet in the wall and seeing that little lightning bolt charge symbol come up as the screen lights up, that's a good thing. A hot cup of coffee is good. A working generator, a working freezer, a working roof... That's a good thing from a good God. Do you remember our Be a Good Human 
campaign that we did last fall. Micah 6.8, he has shown you, O man, what is good. God defines what is good because God is good. And everything God does is good and right and true. You remember how we looked at the creation count from the book of Genesis? Day one, it is good. Light separated from dark, it is good. The sun, moon, and stars, the lesser to rule the night, the greater to rule the day, it, it is good. The land, the sea, the air, it is good. Trees bearing fruit and vegetables, it is good. Every creeping thing that creeps, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, it is good. Man, woman, it is very good. Everything God does is good. His creation is good. The stuff God creates is good. It's full of color. It's full of life, sights, and sounds, and smells, and flavor, and texture, industry, and technology, and architecture, and advancement. God placed all these things on the mind and heart of man to come up with using the created creation that he has provided us. It is good for us to enjoy. God gifted us with all of the beauty around us, and it displays his glory in creation. The firmament, the earth, shows his glory. The, the stars show his handiwork. What is stuff? Where does it come from? God created everything we see by a word of his mouth, for our enjoyment, and for his glory. There's your theology of stuff in a statement right there. God created everything we see by a word of his mouth for our enjoyment and for his glory. Let's sum it all up in James chapter 1 and verse 17. I know you know this verse. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The beauty that God has infused into the world around us, into creation, it's a good thing. The joy we get out of being in nature, the refreshment of a cold drink, the warmth of a bowl of soup, the thrill of being on two wheels, reeling in the fish, the weightlessness of skiing down Wentworth, grandma's oatmeal cookies, Thanksgiving dinner that you're going to enjoy next week. These are good things from a good God who gives good gifts to his children. The grace that we receive flows out of the goodness of God. Goodness of God. Stuff is good. There are so many directions we're going to go in this conversation this fall, but where we need to start is to realize that God is good. And the stuff that we have is good. It's from his hand and it's for our enjoyment. So as much as our culture is materialistic and consumeristic, always needing to have the newest and the nicest, and it's all about the stuff, it can be really easy to assume that stuff is bad and we need to rid ourselves of stuff. And the less stuff, the better. Just, just get rid of it. It's evil. It's bad. Don't think about it. Don't worry about it. Don't stress about it. Just get away from that and get to God. 
And in doing that, we miss the fact that God is gifting us this good stuff for our enjoyment. How offensive would it be if you took a gift to a friend or a loved one and they turned a cold shoulder to you and refused to accept your gift? Are we refusing to accept and to enjoy the good gifts that God has placed in our life? Maybe we're loving the gift more than the giver himself. And like Romans chapter 1, we've traded in the creator for his creation. Let's get things back into perspective. God is good. Everything he's created is good. And it's for our enjoyment. God. Get our hope on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17. That's our key verse for today, and, and there's, there's our big thought. Can I close this online pre-recorded service in a word of prayer? <laughs> we would love to hear from you. Fill out the Connect card right in the comments section. Reach out to us. We love getting to share with our church family and see how we're doing. Um, and I'm really excited to get into this fall campaign with you. Stuffed. It's not about the stuff. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for my church family today, for our community. God, we pray for those who are facing some substantial damages from Hurricane Fiona. God, we pray that um, you would speak to their need. You would show them that you are good, that what comes from your hand is good. You are powerful and true merciful and just. God, show us where we as a church, as the hands and feet of Christ, can step in, be radically generous this week in light of Thanksgiving coming up, in light of Love Atlantic, in the wake of Hurricane Fiona. God, there are so many ways that we can help out the community around us. Show us. Show us what we can do. Give us the courage, the confidence, and the strength to step into those areas. Spirit, would you lead us? God, Help us to have our priorities straight. That you are a good father who gives good gifts to your children. Help us not to love the gift beyond the giver. God, help us to fall in love with you more and more. And these gifts, this stuff, these finances, these resources, this creation that we have to enjoy is only from your hand, only because of you, only because you loved us first. God, thank you for the great God that you are. God, I pray as we enjoy stuff this week, as we get out in your creation and enjoy what you've blessed us with, that we would be reminded of what a great and awesome and glorious God you are. God, thank you for what you've blessed us with. Thank you for the safety, your hand of protection through the hurricane. And God, I pray for our church family and for our community in these efforts to repair and to clean up and to get power back on. We pray for each one, for those who are suffering today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.